Well, it is so good uh, to be here this morning, and uh, I praise the Lord for uh, our elders here at TCC uh, for uh, their graciousness in uh, inviting uh, me to come and to preach today. At the same time, uh, you know, they, I don't think they were supposed to get sick uh, in the process, but uh, we, of course, uh, pray for their uh, healing, for their uh, continued recovery, uh, not just for them, but for their families as well. Uh, and, um, of course, this is a very uh, special Sunday, uh, not just uh, with you know, guest preaching and, and, and all of these things, but uh, as we remember uh, on this Sunday, uh, and we affirm as a congregation on this Sunday, the sanctity of human life, uh, that every single life is precious. Uh, it's something that doesn't always uh, ride well in our culture. Uh, we, we live in a culture just like virtually every other culture in the history of civilization uh, that loves to pick and choose whose lives matter and whose lives don't matter, whose lives are precious and whose lives aren't precious, who, who are uh, um, uh, worth protecting and who are expendable. Uh, and that's why we don't have friends, <laughs> right? Uh, because we tend to be that nagging voice in society that says every single life matters. Um, and every life is worth protecting, and every life is precious in the eyes of our, of our, of our Lord and our Creator. So uh, before we get into the text, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And, uh, and I say that because I know that there may be some here who wrestle with that. There may be some here who, who, who grew up in this culture, you know, and uh, and and this was this may have been one of the tenets that that has you've just kind of absorbed as you've grown up in this world that that there are certain lives that matter and there are other lives that you uh, are allowed uh, uh, not to care about. And so I, I want to pray that God's Spirit would work in my life and my heart, and that He would work in your hearts as well. That when we leave out of here, we would leave at least a little bit closer in sync with Jesus. That we would love those whom he loves. And that we would hate the sin that he hates. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it, it, it is a a tall order for us. No, no mere person can, can change human hearts. I, I, I can't do that. And left to itself, Lord, the words on the pages of Scripture are, are just that. They're words. They're nouns and verbs and adjectives and adverbs, pronouns, prepositions, and, and, and we can piece them together and make sentences and paragraphs and, 
and all of that. And we can walk out of here saying, okay, yeah, I got what this, what this passage said, but, but it would not accomplish anything apart from your Holy Spirit. These words won't come alive in, in us unless your Spirit is moving these words into us digging the seeds deeply into our soil and and watering it and causing it to grow forth and bear much fruit. Only your Holy Spirit can do that, Father. And so I pray that your Spirit would indeed do His work. Lord, we live in a culture that doesn't get it. And unfortunately, there are many Christians that don't get it either. Help us to get it. May this drive us to go to the the, the pregnant young women and encourage them and tell them that there's a better way. There is hope. May it drive us to, to to the streets, to the hoods, to go to those who who feel like there is no more hope left and tell them there is hope. May it drive us to the outcasts. May it drive us to the nobodies and tell them, I know somebody who can give you hope. May it drive us even to the far reaches of the world. Take the gospel where it has never gone before. Because there's hope. There's hope even for the unreached. Lord, we ask big things because you're a big God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So Lord, would you have your way? Magnify Christ. May we see him and may we love what we see. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In what I hope will be the very last Toy Story movie, um, <laughs> there was a, a new character that was introduced. His name was Forky. Forky was uh, an interesting character. For, for one thing, he was a spork, um, and that's always cool. Uh, for another thing, uh, he came straight out of the trash. It's just a spork with one of those little twisty things for his arms and, and a, a broken uh, popsicle stick that becomes his feet. That, that's, that's all there is to, to Forky. Forky's got a problem right around the time that Forky came to life. See, Forky could never get over the fact that he came from the trash. And so no matter what Woody, the the great hero cowboy, tried to tell him, all that Forky could understand of himself and his identity was that he was trash. And of course, it leads to some some humorous things. I know, isn't that a great part of it? See, I I think about illustrations that even little little crawling babies would would, would understand. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and I'm grateful for the amen, too. Yeah. Raise them up, Baptist. Good job. Yeah. 
<laughs> but, but uh, uh, you know, it led to some humorous moments, right? Um, uh, there'd be times where, where Woody is trying, to, is trying to take Forky in one direction, and Forky sees a trash can and goes, trash! And he starts waddling over to go into the trash can, because that's where he thinks that he belongs. He, he thinks that he's trash. And Woody's task, at least in the beginning of the movie, is to help Forky realize that he's not trash, Okay, so maybe he did come from the trash can, literally. And, and yeah, okay, so five minutes ago, he, he was, you know, trash. But, 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 but Woody is trying to help Forky to see that if he is loved by, uh, by the, uh, I forget the girl's name. What's the girl's name? By Bonnie. If, uh, if he is loved by Bonnie, the little girl, he is not trash. He's a toy. <laughs> What's the difference between trash and toy? Love. Love takes one who would otherwise be trash, at least in comparison to all the other things of of, of that little preschool room, and turns the trash into a toy. I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little sick of Pixar. You know, you're watching these things. You're like, oh, this is going to be a great movie. We're going to have fun. We're going to laugh and all these little kid things. And then they, they pull one of these on you, right? And you're going, man, you need to, like, warn me or something, man. You know, come on, man. You know, I, sinuses, you know. And why, why did that resonate so much with me? It, it resonated because we've, we know people who, who think and, and act and live as though they were trash. Maybe they were told that at a young age. Maybe they, 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 they're, uh, they're, they're regarded like that uh, by the larger society. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's just simply you know, the policies that we see in our culture and in our country that say, hey, you can just discard a, a, a fetus or, or, you know what, you don't have to worry about what's going on at the border or, you know what, you don't need to worry about who goes into prison and how long or anything like that. You don't have to worry about that. Just leave those things over to the periphery and just keep on living your lives. Ease and comfort and satisfaction and joy and parties while all of this sorrow is pushed to the margins. What do we start to think about those who are at the margins? We start to think of those who are at the margins as trash. You know, we, we love to think this of others. It just doesn't seem like this is the heart of our Lord. There was a moment where Jesus laid it out crystal clear that that he was coming for the trash. He was coming for the ones that we have pushed aside. He's, He's coming for the ones that are on the edges, the ones that are on the margins. He says, no, no longer will you be there on the margins. I see you, and I'm coming for you, and you will have a pivotal part in my kingdom. You could 
essentially say, for Jesus, one man's trash is Jesus's treasure. (laughs) We go here in this text in Luke 4. I I didn't tell you that we're in Luke 4. Turn your Bibles to Luke 4. (laughs) Spoiler alert, we're in Luke 4. Turn into Luke 4, and our Lord Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry, at least here in the Gospel of Luke. He goes back to his hometown. (laughs) Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is down in southern Israel, but he grew up in Nazareth, which is further north. Okay, And he goes to his home church, if you will, his home synagogue. He gets the opportunity on this Sabbath day uh, to read uh, from the scroll, all right? If you've never been to a synagogue, how many of y'all have ever been to a synagogue before? All right, a couple of y'all have been to a synagogue. If if you're unfamiliar with synagogues, uh, it's sort of like what we're doing right now, but there's some some significant differences as well. For instance, uh, the synagogue, just like here in, in, in our church, the synagogue uh, uh, centers around the reading and the preaching of the scriptures. Okay, the difference though is that here we usually have one person that comes with the reading and the preaching of the scriptures, whereas in the synagogue there could be multiple people doing this all the time. Somebody would come and they would read a portion from Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible: uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then somebody would come with a portion from the prophets. And then there would be one who comes with a portion from the writings, okay? What we would call the Psalms and the wisdom literature and and, and so forth, okay? And then after they would read from the scriptures, then they would sit down and they would give an explanation or an exposition of those scriptures. And so it's kind of like our, what we do here, except they make sure every Sabbath that they're reading from every portion of the scripture. They divided it into three sections, and they would read from those three sections there in what we would call the Old Testament, okay? Jesus gets an opportunity in Luke 4 to visit his home synagogue, all right, the one that he grew up in, you know, uh, uh, they, they know him, they, they've seen him, you know, grow from a little baby all the way up, uh, much like y'all have even here, uh, they they've seen him go through stages of puberty and so on, and the zits and the and the you know the voice changing and all these little things that that would happen with Jesus as he grew up, and and now here he is as an adult, and he gets the opportunity to read from the uh, from the scriptures, and they give him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading the prophet section, and the section the reading for that Sabbath was. Isaiah. So uh, they would have this this chest, this big chest here, and they would open up the chest, and they would take the scroll, and then they would have this little song and dance that they do. They still do this to this day, where they would go around the congregation with the scrolls, and they would sing this song, you know, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. And they would come all over, and then they uh, they, they would lay it down on a table, And Jesus would come, and he would sit at the table, and he would give the reading. This is where Luke uh, brings us right here in Luke 4, okay? So look at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll... All right, so he's sitting here at the table. He opens up the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, and now here we go into his reading. 
He's going to read Isaiah 61, and he's going to sprinkle in a little bit of Isaiah 58 in there as well. So if you have in your mind Isaiah 61, Isaiah 58, you might even want to write that in the margin of your Bible there, or if you have a cross-reference Bible or something, circle those cross-references there. So here's what he reads, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, that's what he reads. Isaiah 61, like I said, with a little sprinkling of Isaiah 58 in there. Listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah talks about these four different groups uh, that, that the, uh, the, the anointed one is supposed to proclaim uh, a message to. He says that he's to give good news to the poor. That would be those who are in economic trouble of some kind. We, we know that. The destitute, the ones who are, who are struggling uh, to make ends meet and so on. Hey, the anointed one has uh, given you a message. There's good news. There's good news. What's that good news? Hold on. Uh, he, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. All right, Those who are in legal trouble. They're bound, they're in prison, they're incarcerated. Hey, there's liberty now. You're free, all right? Those who are in physical trouble, look, recovering of sight to the blind. So we've got economic trouble, legal trouble, physical trouble. Look also, the last one, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, those who are in abusive trouble. So he's going to those in economic hardships, those who are in legal hardships, those who are in physical hardships, those who are in relational or abusive hardships, and he goes to them and he says, I've got good news. This is what Isaiah envisions, that one with the Holy Spirit on him, one who is the anointed one, the the Mashiach, the, the, the Messiah, the Christ, He is going to come with a message, and that message is, are you in economic trouble? Are you in legal trouble? Are you in physical trouble? Are you in abusive trouble? I've got good news. What is that good news? He says right at the end, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. There's grace available for you. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you, if you know your Old Testament, and, and I, 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 I kind of have you know, uh, an unfair advantage because I teach Old Testament, um, and so I know exactly where, where Isaiah is, is getting this from. But, but if you don't, that's okay. It, it's actually found here. This is yet another one to write in, in your margins. Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25. Why? Because Leviticus 25 talks about the Sabbath. And he breaks it down into different categories. There's the Sabbath day. So you've got six weeks that you work. And then on the seventh day, the 
uh, the, the seventh day, you rest, all right? The seventh is Shabbat. That's the day of rest, okay? But then in Leviticus 25, Moses and the Lord speaking through Moses expands this even further. There's the sabbatical uh, 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 year. Every six years you work, and on the seventh year, the land rests. There's no work for seven years, or for, for the seventh year. There's no work. All labor stops. We let the land rest. We enjoy the bounty that God has given us in these six years. This is wonderful. Okay? Now, you've got six days, the seventh day you rest. Six years, the seventh year you rest. Then, after seven periods of seven years, in other words, 49 years, on year 50, you have the Sabbath of all Sabbaths, right? They called that the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, <laughs> check this out. In the year of Jubilee, if you had any debts, on the year of Jubilee, all debts were cleared. Now, I don't know about you, but if there was somebody running for president and they wanted to institute a year of Jubilee, call me. <laughs> you got my vote. <laughs> this is the year of Jubilee, right? Uh, all debts are off. You say, well, what if, I, what if I bought a car in year 49? Well, I'll just let you know that would be the time to buy a car. <laughs> Everyone's holding off, babe. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. You know, we just got to get to year 49 and then we'll buy a new car. Why? Because in year 50, it's gone. There's no car note. You buy a house, you want to buy it in year 49. Why? Because in year 50, no mortgage. Yes. I mean, this is great, right? In the year of Jubilee, all debts were, were, were gone. Slaves that were there in Israel during that time, in the year of Jubilee, you're released. It's freedom. Do you see what's going on here? Isaiah is anticipating a period of time where Messiah would institute a, uh, would, would announce the year of the Lord's favor. And I'm just going to guess that what Isaiah anticipated wasn't just that this would be year 50, but that this would institute a whole new era in human history where the entire era is marked by Sabbath. You get this? There's a day that is coming when the world will be in a period of Sabbath that will never end. Are you bound by economic debts and, 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 and burdens and so on? There's a day where it will be over. Are you bound by physical ailments and, 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 and infirmities and so on? And you're wondering, when is this going to be over? It will be over. The day is coming. There are those who have been beaten down and abused and those who are, who are uh, uh, under the, the thumb of the justice system and, and the legal system and so on, and they just can never get a firm footing to flourish in society. The day is coming. 
There are those who have been taken advantage of, those who have been exploited. We've got uh, 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 young ladies who don't know what to do with the baby that is growing in their bellies, and there are folks who are sitting there waiting to profit over the execution of their babies. The day is coming. The day is coming. The day is coming when those who are struggling with sexual identities and all of these things will no longer be exploited by folks who just want their vote or just want their surgical fees and all of that. There is a day that is coming when they will be free to be what God has created them to be and not confused with all of the things that they're hearing from this world that just wants to exploit them and manipulate them and use them for their own good. The day is coming. The day is coming when there will be release and rest, Sabbath rest, will finally be here. So, this is the passage that Jesus chose. (laughs) He gets this passage and he rolls up the scroll, as it says in verse 20, and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. When is that day? Jesus sits there in the synagogue and says, Today is that day. Y'all, y'all, y'all didn't get that. I'm just going to guess that it was the masks. That's what it was. It was, it was the masks. Yeah. Y'all, today is that day. Now, does that mean that, hey, look at that. You know, there's no more sickness. There's no more poverty. There's no more incarceration. There's no more abuse or anything like that. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. What it means is this. Today is the day when the good news is preached. Did you notice that? Look at what Isaiah says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, verse 18 again, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you see where the emphasis is on here? The emphasis is not on the the fruition, at least the the full fruition of the actual message. The, The point here is that it's time now to get the message out. You see? It's time now to put people on notice that the year of Jubilee is here, that the year of Jubilee is coming, that the year of Jubilee has arrived with the arrival of Messiah. The Christ is here, and he has proclaimed this message. And here's the cool thing. He has now entrusted us with that very same message. So now we go to the captives. We go to the poor. We go to the incarcerated. We go to the abused. We go to the moms. We go to the pregnancy centers. We go to the prisons. We go to the hoods. We go to the sticks. We go everywhere where we can go to say, hey, are you bound by sin? Are you bound by the fallenness of this world? Are you bound by the sins that others have committed to against you? There is good news. Christ has come. And Christ is here to set you free. You say, well, will I get that freedom today? A little bit. (laughs) 
and, and, and you have the hope that all of this will come into fruition at his return. Oh, I think I said this before here. I'll say it again. The problem that I have with the prosperity gospel isn't that, there, that uh, 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 the, 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 the promise that you will be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and all that. I don't have a problem with that. That's exactly what Jesus says. You are going to be healthy. You are going to be wealthy. You are going to be prosperous. But now you suffer. That's the part that they miss. The glory comes after the suffering. That's the whole New Testament. The glory comes after the suffering. After you've suffered for a little while in this world, you have the hope of knowing that Jesus is the one who's going to exalt the humble. Jesus is the one who's going to lift up those who have been bowed down. Jesus is the one who is going to gather up the broken and the hurting and the struggling and the suffering, and he is going to redeem them on that day. I don't have any problem saying that you're going to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and all of that. I'm just telling you, don't set your sights on the health, wealth, and prosperity of this life. Set your sights on the health and wealth and prosperity of what is to come at the return of Christ in his kingdom. Oh, believe me, if I'm going to pick the options between the two, I want that. And I'm willing to give this up if, if it means that I get to have that for all of eternity. So Jesus says, yeah, it's me. Today is the day. So all, look at their response. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. What was he saying? What was the gracious part here? Here's the gracious part. The gracious part was this. Jesus has come to accept the rejects. Isn't that the good, the good news? Jesus accepts rejects. <laughs> the, the trash. The ones who say, I don't have any hope in this life. The ones who say, I, can't, I don't amount to anything in this life. Jesus says, I'm here for you. I am your king. I am your Christ. I am your Redeemer. Come rest in my kingdom. That's amazing. So yeah, the people heard that and they go, yeah, 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 yeah. This is great. This is great. It says they, they spoke well of him. They marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. There were even some that were starting to go, you know, isn't that Joseph's boy? Yeah, I know him. I remember he was just a little kid and all that. You know, this is great. Yeah. And, and, and as they're saying that, we're starting to see some of their worldview bubble up to the surface. Because now they're going, yeah, 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 I know him. Yeah, that's Joseph's boy. And what they mean by that is, you know, I do remember you. Right? Yeah, I was there when you were little. And, uh, you know, I, I know you better than anybody else knows you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, if you're you know, going to be bringing all this release and all this favor from the Lord and everything, it would probably be good for you to, you know, start with the ones who have been there from day one. You see what's going on? Jesus being our Lord who knows our hearts and so on, he sees all of this. He knows exactly what's going on. And notice how the mood will shift. <laughs> Verse 23, he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now, here's the thing. In the Gospel of Luke, he, didn't get, he hasn't been in Capernaum yet. Capernaum is the next story. All right? so, so he's anticipating how they are going to respond. 
when they see what he does next door in Capernaum, okay? So he's going to go over to Capernaum, and he's going to do some spectacular things. And he says, and I know that when I go over there and do those spectacular things, y'all are going to be over here going, hey, hey, hold up. You're going to give us some of that home cooking? <laughs> we, we want some of that over here, too. You know, don't, 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 don't you forget where you came from, Jesus. You see what's going on? What is going on in their hearts and what's going on in their minds? We're, 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 we're going to see this, all right? Notice what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. If you want to know that story, it's there in First uh, Kings uh, 17. And Elijah was sent to none of them. Hear that? There was a famine, three and a half years. There are widows in Israel struggling during those three and a half years of famine, and God sent Elijah to none of them. But he did send them, as it says in verse 26, he did send them to Zarephath. Oh, what what? What tribe in Israel is Zarephath in? None of them. It's in the land of Sidon. He sent him there to a woman there who was a widow. So, so there was a time where there was a, where there was a famine, three and a half years, and there were widows in the land of Israel that were struggling, and God bypassed all of those widows to go to the land of Sidon outside of the borders of Israel to a widow that was over there, and that's the one who received the favor of the Lord during the time of that famine. Oh, but wait, there's more, Jesus says. Verse 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. This is now skipping over to 2 Kings 5. And none of them was cleansed, but only Leper communities all over the place. And of all of the lepers that were in Israel, zero of them received help and favor from the prophet Elisha. No, he went outside of the country to Syria and he gave a cleansing to the general of the Syrian army, Naaman. Notice what he said in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Why is the prophet not acceptable in his hometown? Can I just take a guess? The prophet's not acceptable in the hometown because not only will he accept the rejects, but he will even accept your rejects. The ones that you have rejected. You know, prophets don't like wearing the team jersey. Did you notice that? They're always expected to, 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 to be on the team. You got to be a team player, prophets. You got to do what we tell you to do. You got to toe the line. And, and prophets just don't do that. Prophets aren't there to wear the team jersey. Top, prophets are there to wear the zebra jersey. Do you get what I'm saying? Prophets are there to be the referee, all right? And you know how it is in every sports game. We hate the ref, right? 
You know, the ref calls travel. The guy took 25 steps, you know, before he dribbled. He calls travel. Oh, boo! See, ref, that's why you stink! You know, all that. And then you look at the replay, and the guy's just, you know, like he's playing football. I mean, he's, he's taking the ball, and he's going, and you're just like, what is wrong? The problem is not, is not, the, uh, is not the ref. The problem is the player. He's playing the wrong sport. He needs to dribble in basketball, all right? But we do that. We don't like the ref because the ref doesn't favor our team. The ref is impartial. The ref will play by the rules. That's why we don't like prophets because they're not team players. They were sent by God with a message, and they give the message, and they obey him. And him alone. Jesus now is here, and Jesus is saying, I have been called here to proclaim this message, and this message is not only good news for the people within the limits of the country of Israel, but even for all of the nations as well. Why is that good news? Because we don't live in Israel. Did you notice that? We are the Gentiles, and this is good news for us. But, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Just in case y'all go, yeah, Gentiles rock. We're good. We, we're the ones who, who receive the favor of God. Yeah, take that, Israel. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Who are your rejects? Who are the ones that you have said, their lives don't matter to me? Who are the ones that you have said, I don't care what happens to them. My life is great. Or, I don't care about their struggles. Do you know how many struggles I got to deal with in a day? You don't see me complaining. Who are the ones that you have rejected? Could it be that the Lord Jesus is not just pointing at his hometown crowd, but he could be pointing to his own family as well, right here in this room, and saying, guys, do you see who I see? Are you doing what you can to extend the message of my grace to the people that I'm looking at? Or have you put blinders up just like your worldly neighbors and have said, I don't care about them, I don't care about all of that. You know, I, What I care about are the things that the world cares about and the people that the world tells me to care about, and I don't care about anybody else. Is that the heart of Christ? Or is that the heart of the world? How did the hometown crowd respond? Well, look at verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. <laughs> Let's just say the mood changed a little bit. How much? Verse 29. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Okay, so it changed a lot. <laughs> um they were going to put him away right then and there. Why? Because he didn't wear the jersey. Why? Because he refused to call their trash trash. 
Why? Because Jesus accepts even the ones that we've rejected. Can I, can I give a word to us? Don't reject the ones. Or don't reject the one who accepts the reject. Don't reject the one who accepts the reject. You know, Jesus in his, in his mercy, it says in verse 30, and, and just spectacular deity, it says, but passing through their midst, he went away. <laughs> I, I don't personally understand how that's possible. <laughs> like, how does a mob, you guys have one job, right? Like, like you, you get up in rage, you grab him, you drag him all the way to the cliff to throw him off the cliff, and somewhere by the time you get to the cliff, you're going, all right, now throw him over. Oh, I thought you had him. Well, I thought you, where is he? Yeah, um, <laughs> that, that, that's an unfortunate thing. But that's good news for us, because this isn't how he was supposed to go. But there would be a time where the one who accepts the rejects would be rejected by many. There was a time where he, he got away from this situation, but there was a time where he voluntarily submitted himself to the people and said, you may have me now. And as they yelled the cries of crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, he did not open his mouth. He did not defend himself. He didn't try to sneak away or anything like that. He came and he endured the punishment of death, even death on the cross. He was willing to be rejected. You say, why in the world would the one who accepts the rejects voluntarily be rejected by men and all of that? Why? What about the mission? What about the cause? What about trying to save people's lives? Here's the thing. That was the way that he accepted the rejects. You see, because by his death on the cross, the one thing that separates us from, our, our, from God, our sin is done away with. The one who has rejected us because of our sin, the one true God, has now cleared the way so that he can accept us as his sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. And having been accepted by him, we now have been transformed into men and women, boys and girls, who are able to go even further to the far reaches of the world and to the far reaches of our own communities to draw the rejects into Christ as his own children and or as his brothers and sisters and as children of God so that they can know the love of God forever. Please understand this. God, through his son, he has rejected him for a moment so that all of us who have been eternally rejected by him can be accepted by him forever. And having been accepted by him now all of, the, of, the, of the, um, the structures and so on that are around us that would keep us bound in this world start to crumble. And the hope that one day we will stand complete in him, in the new Jerusalem of righteousness and justice and peace, that day will come. Are you getting this? This is the way. He had to be rejected because that's the only way for him to fully accept the reject. Praise God. So, 
Where does that leave us? Well, one, do you accept the one who accepts the rejects? When he loves the unlovable, do you realize that if he didn't love the unlovable, you would never be loved? Do you see what he's doing? Do you love what he's doing? Next question. If this is the mission of Christ, then what must our mission be? When we preach the gospel, are we going here? Are we, are we saying not just that Christ has come to take away our sin, hallelujah, he takes away our sin. But are you going where Jesus goes and where Isaiah goes and say, and not only is he taking away our sin, but he's ridding the world of the sin and the curse so that once and for all there will be righteousness and justice and peace forever. Are you preaching not just the cross, but are you preaching the kingdom that the cross makes possible? Because we need the whole story. Question. Who do you reject? What is, the, what is our Lord and Savior saying to you right now about the ones that you've rejected? Perhaps it's time to circle back around and show them the one who accepts the reject. We've got many in our community who feel rejected, whether we're talking uh, the unborn, whether we're talking the born, whether we're talking those in wealthy societies or wealthy communities or those in impoverished communities, whether we're talking those in America or those far beyond. We've got a message to tell. So by God's grace, may we be faithful to give that message. Show them the one who accepts the rejects. Because in Christ, there is no trash. In Christ, trash is his treasure. Let's pray. So Lord, would you have your way? Work in us, work through us, that we would share and show the heart of Christ to our neighbors and to the nations. Lord, for those who, who have been deemed by society as trash, whether we are talking about the unborn or whether we're talking about the born, those in the womb all the way to those who are nearing the tomb. Father, I pray that we would proclaim good news. That the Christ has come to accept the rejects. And Sabbath is coming. It's coming soon. Lord, there are some who are here who perhaps feel this way about themselves. Lord, I pray that they would see the heart of Christ. 
May they see the grace and the love in his eyes. May they turn from whatever substitute they may be having right now. May they turn wholeheartedly to Jesus. Find him to be the lover of their souls that they long for. For so long. Lord, you are so good. Have your way among us. Use us to proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. 